0: Creative beasts, welcome to Random Badassery, where we do the damnedest to study and understand creativity, and maybe learn how to use it if we're lucky. My name is Chad Hall,
1: and my equal partner in thought crime is Lam Wen. Lam, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing. I've had a hard couple of weeks, um, but you know, um, considering our subject for this week, uh, it was very appropriate for me to have Bob Dylan playing in the background for pretty much every difficult thing I've dealt with for the last two weeks.
0: Yeah, I've, I'm overloaded on Bob Dylan right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that that was possible, but to be honest with you, I feel like you have to be in the right mindset. Like a lot of the things we've talked about in the past with certain pieces of art or you know certain books that we've read, you have to be ready to consume them. Um, and I think that uh, the stuff that's ha- happening politically as well as some of my own personal um epiphanies, I guess is the best way to put it, um, are very in line with some of the, the classic Dylan stuff from the 1960s when he was really, really, um, punching into the, the, the political side of the world and, and kind of fighting the power for lack of a better way of saying it.
0: Yeah, I know the, going through the protest period was oddly, um, I don't want to say appropriate because we try not to be political in the show at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we have our own personal opinions, but that's, has nothing to do with creativity. But it—it it was whether you agree with it or not. It was oddly apropos, um, and it, it's—I I found myself actually today thinking. I'm like, I wonder what Bob Dylan now is thinking right now, he's gone through a lot of changes. We'll—we'll we'll go into this more, but he's gone through a lot of changes, and I'm not even sure where the man stands on anything now. He's changed so much in the last 75 years.
1: Sure and that 's um, got to be that 's got to be tough, too, especially from his perspective. I was thinking that going through his 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 library is um you know to be relevant in the music world for fifty years. I mean think of how much you and I have changed in the last twenty, much less how much Bob Dylan has changed in the last fifty, um, and considering some of the time. In, in which he, he was making his way through the artistic world, there was a lot of stuff changing in this country. So it's oh, it's very incredible. interesting to see to see the the amount of effect that has both on him as a person as well as on his music.
0: And speaking of changes, before we go full into Bob Dylan, uh, for those of you out there who maybe follow us on social media or maybe chose not to because we sucked at it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've made a concerted effort to actually change that. Lam, you want to explain a little bit? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh,
1: you know, I, obviously, from, from my own perspective, I've, I've used, um, Instagram quite a bit for my own stuff, um, and it, it made, it only made a lot more sense for me to jump back into it from, from my side as, um, for random badassery as well. So what I want to try to focus on is to not just, you know, highlight the things that we, we do on the episodes, like for, for, for example, the previous episode, uh, was Ian McKellen, so quite a bit of Ian McKellen is currently on our Instagram. Uh, but moving forward, I want to put, you know, interesting pieces of artwork we find or uh, pieces of artwork that both Chad and I are producing on our own ends. Uh, but I also want to kind of put a call to action out there for anybody who, who is is listening to the podcast. We would love to get your input on cool things that you're seeing in the artistic world. So, you know, directly message us on the Instagram itself or send us an email um, at info at randombadassery.com. Um, and uh, you know, show us what's cool in the world. We can't find it all, and we probably can't even find 10% of it. So the more eyes we have uh, looking around the art world and the more ears we have listening, um, the more likely it is we'll find things that people will be really interested in.
0: And on the other side of it, what's, what's actually really interesting is um, a lot of – well, I'm, I'm making a supposition here, but a lot of podcasts and a lot of shows and stuff like that out there, they have one person running all of their social media. Um, we pretty much abandoned Facebook just because it was, I don't have a Facebook, so I can't really participate. Wasn't fair to have Lam run two of them and Facebook just really, it didn't feel good for either of us. Lam loves Instagram. So Lam's in charge of the Instagram. I I pop in every once in a while, but it's him and I'm doing the Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, and what's, what's interesting about that is we're both doing something completely different. It's not repeated posts, you know, Lam is. I have to go over and look at the Instagram to see what Lamb's doing because we're not we're not planning this we're we're both just taking taking the reins of the passion and and enjoying it. A lot of what I'm doing on the Twitter right now is I'm running across interesting things about creativity, but I've been waiting until this episode was over with because I've done an extensive amount of research on Bob Dylan, most of which will probably not make it into the conversation um So all of that stuff, all that research, all those things that I found, I'm going to be sharing that on Twitter throughout the next month. Um, For example, any articles that I've read, I've clipped them into Evernote and I've gone through and I've highlighted passages that I think are interesting. So when I post an article, obviously I'm going to give credit to the original source of the article, but I'm going to post a link to the Instagram file with my highlights. So you can see what I've I've highlighted, what I found interesting. And what I'm hoping... There, it'll we'll, we'll start opening up some dialogue with you guys. Exactly. Um And uh, we're at random badassery, all one word, on both platforms. Um I'm, We haven't really plugged any of this stuff before. We've been doing this for a year. Um Not this particular format, but we've been podcasting for a year. And we are finally getting to the point where it's like, why aren't we pushing ourselves? Um It's almost like we didn't believe in what we were doing. So we're doing that now. And that's why you're hearing a lot of this.
1: I think a lot of that too, is that I I think we weren't quite sure what was going to work. And I think that the, that, that too many people fall into that. Um, This I can, uh, you know, a test for when it comes to artists I've worked with in the past Um, do, you know, we were trying to figure out what was best for the podcast without realizing that the best thing for the podcast was to do what felt right for each of us as individuals. Um, and given your, your, your almost manic, um, Use of Twitter and my obsession with Instagram um, it makes only logical sense that we would do those things because it, it it's what naturally fits into our creative wheelhouses already so um, it's not necessarily that that we I, I think we just finally came to the conclusion um, about a month and a half ago that we should just do what we love <laughs> and, right. and as as intuitive as that sounds now um, you know for most people they go through their entire lives without having that realization at some point you know you, the most successful thing will always be the thing you care about the most. So why not just do it? Exactly. And and
0: one of the things like for me, that's um, it didn't start out this way. When I first started doing the Twitter, I think it's been like two weeks since we've started really digging into this. Um, I mean, we got serious about it. We set ourselves goals and everything. Um, one of the things I found interesting is the way that I've changed just in that short period of time the way I was using it. Originally, I was just trying to find Um, interesting people to follow so I can find content from them. And uh, I I don't do that anymore. I don't actually even read the Twitter feed. I'm just actually literally doing searches for things that I'm interested in. And if I find something good, that's what I'm posting onto Twitter. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's bringing things to a platform. And I feel like that's going to enrich this show because, you know, we talk a lot like our tagline is studies and creativity. And like I said at the beginning, um, this is about trying to essentially dissect creativity. And we've kind of done that, but I think maybe we haven't really lived up to our tagline yet. Um, we've done it when we talk about our our subjects like we're doing today. Um, but there's so much more to that. And there's um, so much into applicability um, and so many other formats of things um, that we can dig into. And now by doing this with these two platforms and also our medium, um, which... By the way, none of you guys have popped up on Medium, so I'm going to plug it again. Go to our Medium page. Find our Medium publication and follow us. We're not putting out any newsletters yet. We haven't posted very many blogs on there because nobody's on there yet. So until you guys are on there, then we'll start because uh, I think that with those three platforms, we can really start doing something interesting. We could do short-form writing, visual stuff with Instagram, and then we could do long-form writing with the medium account and then of course the audio with this and who knows you know if if things are going well maybe one day we'll move into video i don't know um but we are expanding even this podcast because lam and i once we started doing this um we decided to add to the format lam do you want to say anything about that
1: yeah i i think it's um i think I think we have so much that we wanna talk about, and it's it's originally when random bad asri um um, was the you know, when we were talking about it, long before it ever became a podcast in the form that it is now, um, we were wanting to talk a lot about tech, and we wanted to talk about a lot of the challenges that we faced in tech or the things we wanted to see in tech, and a lot of the the the, the meat of what our podcast was originally, and a lot of what what people liked about our podcast was that discussion, and I think although the the discussions on um creatives such as our subject today Bob Dylan is really important i think that the the meat of what made the podcast what it was for both you and i in the beginning was that talk about tech um and so we're going to be doing we're going to go to to, to bi-weekly now um and one episode will be focused much more on the the artist um that we we announce once a month and the other uh, podcast will be much more about our 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 Tech challenges and the the challenges that we have personally as creatives as well um, to kind of give uh, everyone who's been tuning in and for those who will be tuning in a more broad view of of our creative lives as well as as our creative inspirations.
0: And to clarify, just this is a weird thing that I just found out within the last month. The word bi-monthly has the worst or bi-weekly has the worst definition in English because (laughs) bi-weekly means twice a week. Or twice a month. Oh, that's interesting. So it actually built into it has a contradictory definition. What we're referring to is we were going to put out two episodes a month.
1: Good God, can you imagine doing two a week? <laughs> I think the Nerdist.
0: What do they do? Like three? Rogan does one almost every day.
1: That's madness. I don't even understand that. He loves it though. He gets off. Yeah, part. but I, but I bet. But I, I I bet if they tried to do the form that we were doing, you know, with the Nerdist for example, it's almost all interviews. Um, And with Rogan, it's basically just throwing a mic in front of him and letting him talk about whatever he wants for... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever. Three and but a half hours. Us, yeah, exactly. Some of those are so dauntingly long. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's very entertaining, but geez, are they long? Um, but if they tried to do in-depth um, research um, podcasts like we're doing, I don't think, I don't think anyone could pull off more than one a week. Um, and even oh, yeah. one a week seems really daunting.
0: And that's, that's if you're being paid and that's your <laughs> full-time job, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I
0: mean, the amount of work that I put into, and I know you did too, into Bob Dylan for this episode in a month, was time consuming. We and had to, to be, cram that into a week, it's impossible.
1: And to be honest with you, I still feel like I didn't do enough. Um, considering how much I read and how much I, I, I listened to. I mean I, I I probably have logged at least Fifteen to twenty continuous hours of listening to Bob Dylan, and, and let me let me tell you what that does to a human psyche. Um, for anyone, and, and and this is and this is expanding beyond just the the Dylan that we know and love, um, which is pretty much the stuff from the nineteen sixties. Um, that was the political stuff. But Bob Dylan has his moments where he's he's not the Bob Dylan we want him to be, or at least you know me as a, a person. Like there there are some there are some pretty some pretty troubled years in there um musically oh, yeah. and and so some of that was actually pretty tough to listen to but you know for the sake of the podcast we got to do what we got to do <laughs>
0: i i mean he has 37 albums i think um he just released a single from what will be the 38th i think mm-hmm. it came out today you yeah. and i both listened to it uh i listened to every single album yeah in chronological order um Ugh. and uh a large chunk of them were today, actually. I mean, I wouldn't say like half or anything like that. Maybe close to ten. Um, I listened to Bob Dylan since from the moment I woke up today, and I finished the last song right before we started recording this. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm in a way, I can't wait to hear somebody else sing. <laughs> uh, the
1: eighties, <laughs> the eighties is tough, man. <laughs> that no, was a tough one. <laughs> and the religious period. Yeah.
0: Um, although the the eighties made the religious period look awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, but going back to the the new format, um, yes, we will be talking about tech. But once again, like Lamb said, this is all still going to be rooted in creativity. Yeah, so we're not going to be you know we're not going to be talking about um, things that don't have to do with our creative lives. So when we talk about an app, it's going to be something that we use for creative purposes, or something that allow you know like if we talk about a productivity app, it's because as creative, sometimes we need to be organized because if we aren't, then we just forget everything. Uh, but another thing that I wanted to say about this, I haven't even told you about this lamb, but we want to open it <laughs> up. To, we want to open it up to questions from you guys. Every single middle of the month episode, if you guys have questions, shoot them to us on Twitter, Instagram, um, at info at randombadassery.com. dot com. You can leave comments on the. <laughs> On the actual website itself, we have comments underneath every episode. You can leave comments there. Just If you have questions, ask them, and we'll answer them. Um, We want to open that up to you guys. So the more participation you guys have in this, the more skin you have in the game.
1: And especially with those mid-month episodes, too, I don't just want to talk about what we're doing creatively, but I also want to talk about the things that inspire us creatively. Like, um, for example, I almost can't wait for that middle episode so we could talk about the... uh, the, uh, ha, ah, forget it now, catch a murderer. What? What's the name of that? Oh, name? hunt a killer. Hunt a killer. There you go. Geez, mixing words. But yeah, I can't, I actually can't wait to talk about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, and you guys will have to tune in in two weeks to find out what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, last time we came in, there's two things, two little pieces of business before we get into old Robert Zimmerman. Um, last time we were here, we t- we said that we we're going to write, each going to write a, a blog with um, five moments in film that uh, the actor really just like brings the character to life in a way that's beyond just normal acting. And we never wrote those. <laughs> There's a few <laughs> reasons for that. The main reason for that is um, I discovered that it would be nearly impossible to present it to you guys in a way that would make sense if you hadn't seen the movie. Yeah. To, to tell you in um, this whatever movie at one hour and 14 minutes, this scene happens. Eh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's, it's kind of like trying to describe a painting to someone. Um, and the way that copyright law is and all that, the chances of finding that exact scene that we want to mention on something like YouTube or something like that to be able to insert that was pretty slim.
1: Not only that, but but the the other side of that, at least for me was two out of the moments that I had um, were from movies that were not great movies. (laughs) So I didn't want to recommend people go to watch the movie because I didn't necessarily like the movie that much. I just felt like a certain performance or a certain moment uh, captured something special. So,
0: right and f- like for example for me like i don't think four weddings and a funeral is a great movie mm-hmm. but there's a scene where one character it's uh one character has lost his partner and he reads a w h auden poem at the funeral and it's probably one of the best films i mean scenes that i've ever seen in a film that's kind of a throwaway film yeah um so anyways what you're going to get a lot more of this In in the middle of the month episodes, a lot of more of this kind of talk. um, Where maybe maybe in two weeks we'll we'll share some of those moments just in passing that we were going to use. So that oh the other thing I wanted to cover first, um, Mm -hmm. we promised that we were going to try to find out how to become completely iOS for this podcast to be able to record in iOS, to be able to edit in iOS, and to be able to publish in iOS. And we achieved that goal. Yeah. Uh, Right now, we are complete. Both of us are on iPhones. Yeah. There's no computer, no microphone. We're we're on iPhones. We're in our just the air air not earbuds earbuds. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know if we're the first podcast (laughs) out there to be completely iOS. There's some out there that do it partially, but they still go to a computer for certain parts. Mm -hmm. I figured out how to fill in those gaps and in two weeks i'll go into detail on how we're doing that um yeah so let's move into robert zimmerman and uh lamb kick it off
1: oh man where to even begin um (laughs) it's funny because i almost want to start at the end uh because i just heard the the latest the latest song from the the album um and it's 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 a very strange one. Um, it's actually pretty unexpected. It's it's very croonery, um, as you put it. Um, it has a jazzier feel to it that I, ju- I just I mean I guess I guess Dylan is one of those artists who, throughout his entire career, through the f- five decades that it spans, um, he's done quite a few different things when it comes to his own sound. Some of which were pretty horribly received, by the way, um, <laughs> and some and some of some of which is deserved and some of which is not. Like you know, Bob Dylan, for who he is, is definitely ahead of his time at moments. Um, but yeah, this latest, this latest piece is actually very interesting. I'm not quite sure if I like it yet. Um, but I definitely think it's, it's, it's an interesting departure on many levels because it feels a lot more polished than I thought it would be. Um, and I'm not sure how much I like that.
0: What I found out since you and I last talked about listening to that song is what it is. So it's, it's a single off of a new album called triplicates or triplicate. Maybe it's singular. I can't remember. It's part of a trio. The two albums before it are part of this trio. And since I just literally finished listening to the other two albums, I can tell you all three albums have that jazzy crooner sound. Sure. And the reason for that is every single one of the songs on all of them are classic standards, oh. American songbook standards. And every single one of them was at one point covered by Frank Sinatra. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> but what is really interesting about this? I, I, number one, like that, uh, what's it called? Shadows in the, I think it's Shadows in the Night, which is the uh-huh. first of the trio. Yeah. Um, I started listening to that, and I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be hard to get through these three albums. I actually enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. Um, but what's very interesting to me is, for years, people have been saying that Bob Dylan's voice is falling apart Mm -hmm. because it's been getting more gravelly Um, on Tempest, for example, which is the album before this trio. His voice is about as gravelly as it gets almost into Tom Waits territory. Sure. Um, In fact, some of the songs on that album sound like they could have been Tom Waits songs, but then you hear his voice on these and his voice on these three albums, well, two albums and a single from the third Mm -hmm. is the closest thing to quote unquote, a normal singer. Um, in the sense that Bob Dylan doesn't sound like what you expect from Bob Dylan. And for people, perhaps, you know, like people that were listening to music like Frank Sinatra at the time when Bob Dylan came out, if these albums had been released then, they wouldn't have been saying, who is this guy? He cannot sing. And it just goes to prove the fact that Bob Dylan can do a lot of things. He just chooses to do things the way that he does them.
1: I was actually going to ask you about that when it came to Tempest. Um, As I remember, I got to Tempest I think on Friday of last week, um, and I, I I noticed a huge departure in in his vocal style, and I I was wondering, um, I mean, of of course now we know that's a creative choice, and it isn't his vocal cords just literally falling apart, but it's really interesting to 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 think of you know the last thirty years of his music prior to you know, prior to, to the the latest album, Shadows in the Night and Fallen Angels and Tempest, and and to, to understand why he did that. Um and I'm not sure. It makes me rethink uh Tom Waits too in that sense as well. Um, if Tom Waits is doing it all on purpose. Um but yeah I, I was curious to to know what your opinion was on that.
0: Well first of all Tom Waits most definitely is doing it on purpose. He actually yeah. if you go back to his early albums, he has kind of a um more nasally voice. Yeah. Um and then he got sick when he was on tour. And people, he went on stage and still performed. And he had kind of a raspier voice, and he got so many compliments that he actually started moving into creating that affectation of the multiple raspy voices that he does. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Dylan is doing here as well with Tempest. Because if you go in succession from about 1989, which was the Oh Mercy album he did with Daniel Lamois, Mm -hmm. if you go forward, He's edging further and further and further into that sound with almost every album. There's two exceptions where he actually, for the first time, goes back to just him, an acoustic guitar, and a harmonica and Mm -hmm. does um, all folk songs that he didn't write, all folk covers. Um, But with the exception of those two albums, he's edging closer and closer to that sound. So I I don't know I I can't help but think because some of the songs do have a Tom Waits feel to them, and in some way he may have been influenced by Tom Waits. Uh, I say uh, it's 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 hard to say. That's I think that that's one thing that I've learned in this month about Bob Dylan that I kind of knew before, but he is an enigma. Yeah, um, he his interviews will give you zero information on him. <laughs> in the sense that if he delivers some sort of personal information or some creative inspiration, the next interview he does will completely contradict it. Yeah. He keeps himself elusive.
1: Did you ever hear any of the... Uh, it took me a while to track him down. Um, and I definitely think for anyone who's a Bob Dylan fan who hasn't heard these, uh, you have to track down his his um, the stuff he did uh, for the radio show on XM Radio. Uh, where he covers a bunch of people that you would not expect. I think somewhere in there, there's an LL Cool J cover. Um, wow. and, it, and it's pretty fascinating. So that's, that's, I, I will definitely find links to that and put it in uh, our show notes. Um, but yeah, his, he had a, when he was doing radio presenting, he would do random covers. Like, I think Prince is in there. He did a few by, by Blur, the streets. There's a bunch of people. And it was one of the, the coolest things, um, to hear Bob Dylan, um, not only trying um, to take on modern compositions, but also to change his style of performance based on what he thought fit best for the song from his perspective. It's really fascinating.
0: And that's that's something that I think going into like really digging into his creativity, one thing that I really, I think that's an important part of his creativity is persona. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob doesn't just try on, you know, like, hey, let me let me see that instrument. Let me see that on. He becomes that person. Yeah, um, almost to the point, like I had mentioned earlier, that there, there was a religious phase. So after, it's hard to get it all straight, uh, <laughs> far after the 60s phase, um, and then he went after the 60s phase, he got into this horrible motorcycle accident where he had a concussion and I uh, can't remember if he had broken ribs or something else. It was, it was a from what I understand, a nearly fatal motorcycle accident. And it was also about at a time when he was kind of like done. And he just kind of started jamming with the band. And then he had like this little bit of a resurgence. And then all of a sudden he comes out as in as I keep calling him Robert Zimmerman. For those of you who don't know know this, that is his real name. His real name is Robert Zimmerman. Yep. He is a Jewish man. And all of a sudden after this period, he comes out as a born again Christian. Yeah, and people weren't sure whether to take it as a joke or not. But then he does a trio of religious albums that are, sad to say, some of the most lyrically uninspired, um, period of of his of of all of his work. Um, and one of them is, is is excusable because it's a gospel album, and gospel songs are not known for having very many lyrics; they're mm-hmm. more repetitive refrains. Um, but the other ones, it, almost to the point where I was disappointed, um, not in the fact of him as an as that he went um, religious or anything like that, but more in the sense that uh, he has this great talent for lyrics and that he didn't bring that to this new devotion that he had. Um, imagine him taking that ability to tell um, stories like he did with the death of Hattie Carroll. To be able to tell these incredible stories and take that to a religious perspective, he could have made some very literate, literary um, religious songs, but instead he went the same route as everybody else and went very – sorry, I shouldn't say everyone else, what seems like everyone else, um, with very simple –
1: yeah they, um, they felt they felt felt very uninspired <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it, which
0: is funny because he totally should have been inspired, right?
1: Sure, sure. what's the third album I only know the, the, the slow shot slow of low train okay, so slow train moving was and and the saved were the one. only two okay
0: saved and then shot of love and shot okay. of love um they call it the album where you can hear it some people have said it's the album album where he was shaking off the religion. Mm. because there are some um religious intonations in some of the songs but then some of the songs are just back to bob dylan writing about love or
1: mm-hmm. normal bob dylan stuff if you can use that word yeah what was the one right after i, I um shot of love i believe that is that infidels um let me look because it seems it seems I actually p- have to
0: have a list for this because hilariously part- ironic that the yes, this, infidels. The,
1: so the one that he has after the Christian phase is called Infidels. Sorry, I'm just high fiving Bob Dylan for pulling that that's, one off.
0: Well that's a very Bob Dylan thing. If if you notice going through his career, um, not just with the interviews contradicting himself, he purposely contradicts himself musically. Yeah. And in in themes, in everything. Um and I think that's because that sixties period, he got um You know, first he was the folk singer. He was the great folk singer. And then he got – everybody hated him because he went electric. Mm -hmm. Um, And he rolled through (laughs) that. But then somehow, you know, he became like this – known as the prophet, the voice of his generation. Sure. And he got stuck in that persona. And I feel like that defined the rest of his career in the sense that he never wanted to be pigeonholed. So instead, he purposely contradicted himself and even um, even
1: in even in the movement to electric he just prior to that he was talking for lack of a better way of saying he was talking smack on rock and roll as an institu- institution saying that there wasn't enough substance there for him to to really be interested in it you know it was just a bunch of catchphrases and driving pulse rhythms from what he said so right. it's really interesting to see him him take a hard left on it <laughs> pretty immediately well, after he he said that what,
0: what did he say to he said to Keith Richards at one point he said um, because he, he he thought that um, rock and roll was a simpler music. He, he told Keith Richards at one point, he said, I could have wrote Satisfaction, but you never could have wrote Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Keith Richards, being the great man that he is, <laughs> agreed with him. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm sure they were friends. Um, I know that he was studying the Stones. Even though he was talking um, bad about rock and roll, he was studying the Stones and the Beatles. He's admitted to that.
1: Can you imagine um, being in a room with those guys? Can, uh, Keith Richards um, and, and Bob Dylan talking about music over coffee. Man, why? Oh, the, incredible. In, man. in an age of, of, of media and cameras everywhere, geez, where are the cameras when you need them?
0: <laughs> and going through the catalog, there are moments where all of a sudden there's this amazing guitar in like some of the middle albums where the mm-hmm. songs aren't that great, but then all of a sudden there's this one song that has this amazing guitar. It's Ron Wood from The Stones.
1: Oh, of course. Of course it is. Of course it is.
0: Uh What was that album that I was talking to you about today? There was one album which was not a very good album. Um, man, Which one was it? I don't know. I think of, oh, it was so Down many... in the Groove.
1: Oh, Down in the Groove. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: Down in the Groove. If you look at the, the personnel on this album, this is... So Down in the Groove is two... Uh, so we had the the religious albums, the religious trio of albums. Then there's Infidels, Empire Burlesque, which may be his weakest album of his whole career. Oh uh, yeah, totally. And then knocked out Loaded, um, which was a decent album. But then you come back with Down in the Groove, which is still just a decent album. But the personnel on this album means he was really trying to get back the magic. He had Eric Clapton on this album, Mark Knopfler from um, Dire Straits on this album. Paul Simmon and the bass player from the Clash Steve Jones the guitar player from the Sex Pistols uh Ron Wood Kip Winger who was Kip Winger at this time <laughs> It's incredible that I mean, Slide Dunbar on drums
1: and the personnel on this album is just it's mind blowing You know what's funny is um um but what's even more mind-blowing about the personnel on that album is how poorly it was received.
0: <laughs> it wasn't that great of an album. It just yeah. goes to show that
1: resources don't mean anything. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was it was pounded in the press for being a, a really unsuccessful and, and under... I forget what the, 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 the comments I read on it were, but I remember... I mean, I didn't think it was that bad of an album, to be honest with you. I, I thought it felt... Um, like everything heading out of the eighties, I still, I felt like it was still a little uninspired, but I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> and when you put it into context
0: of what everybody else sounded like at the time. Yeah. It's not that strange. There's, you know, there's some synth tones on there that you're like, Oh, that sounds awful now. But then you go back and you listen to dire straits. Sure. Or even the stones at that time. Sure. I, they all kind of had that same feel. That was just the way the eighties were.
1: Well, and then, and then immediately after that um comes probably my some of my favorite work from from Dylan and and various others which is the traveling Woolberries. that that's amazing stuff oh yeah yeah that's and that to those... me is that to me is on on my list for a while of, of the dylan stuff that i had to fight my way through that's the one i wouldn't mind listening to again despite the fact that i've listened to nothing but bob dylan for like 10 days straight and even those two albums not every
0: song is amazing yeah agreed and i mean it's arguable that um, they are the supergroup, mm-hmm. the the greatest supergroup ever. You know, uh, aside from groups, you know, like the Beatles, that those are that was their original band. Mm-hmm. Supergroup in the definition of people that are from other bands getting together purposely because they are all from other bands and talented. Mm-hmm. For the, for those who don't know, this was a band with George Harrison from the Beatles, Bob Dylan, yep. Tom Petty, Roy Orbison. And Jeff Lynne from Electric Light Horse Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Those are some heavy hitters. A lot of people don't know who Jeff Lynne is now, but at the time he was... Oh, he was I mean, huge Electrical at the time, Light... sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah and then and I guess the, the, the second album, which was Traveling Wil- Wilburys Volume 3, was recorded after Robeson's death, right? Or Orbison's death, right?
0: Uh, I'm not positive, to be honest. Yeah, I
1: think, I think it was... Um, um, I don't know if they recorded... Yeah, I I don't know if they, they, they I don't know if they they recorded it with him and then he died or if they oh yeah he's not on that album at all never mind yeah Orbison's death um they still carried on as the traveling Woolberries for one more album and recorded without him yeah I wonder I wonder what the story is behind there being no volume two yeah I don't know there's there's got to be some significance there I have a feeling that I'm gonna dig into that as soon as we're done reading or doing this podcast which will be something that'll show up on one of
0: our social medias in some yep. way.
1: I'm definitely posting that somewhere on uh, Instagram sometime this week.
0: Maybe even if you just use the story on Instagram and talk into the camera.
1: Oh, that's true. Good point. Yeah. Uh, um and then and then right after that was Oh Mercy. Was the the album right after that? Uh after which? After The Traveling Wilburys was Oh Mercy his 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 first solo project after the supergroup?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um I forget where the Wilburys fit into the whole niche there because I think it it actually since those two albums I think it overlaps between multiple albums but Oh Mercy what's interesting about Oh Mercy is that's the first time he worked with Daniel Lamois Uh and Daniel Lamois at the time was pretty much known for working with U2 Mm -hmm. yeah and I have to say um, I've heard um, what's the name of the album Uh, Time Out of Mind which is an album he did with Lamois much later which is he won a Grammy for that. And it it was the beginning of the late Bob Dylan revival.
1: Um, But I'd never heard Oh Mercy. And Oh Mercy is, is fantastic. Oh, it's a great album. It's a great album. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and, and Len for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, he, he's famous for U2, but he's also worked with Neil Young, Peter Gabriel, uh, Willie Nelson, Brandon Flowers. I mean, he's, he's all over the place. So, and, and for anyone who, who knows of his, his U2 affiliation, I mean, he's responsible for, at least for me, the, the two best U2 albums in U2 history, which is the, jo- the Joshua Tree and, um, Actung Baby. So, I mean, he's, he's pretty spectacular as a, as a producer.
0: And I think one of the reasons that Lamois is so associated with U2, um, is because him and Flood, um, which was the engineer, mm-hmm. um, are responsible for what became the quintessential U2 sound in the sense that, um, U2 had been moving toward a specific sound, but that really reverb drenched etherealness that is all over Joshua Tree, that specifically comes from Lamois and Flood. Yeah. And you can hear some of that in um, both of the Bob Dylan albums, actually, at certain points. It's obviously dialed back a considerable amount. Um, but that's one of the things, like going back to that idea of contradictions with Bob Dylan. He makes this, he's, he's been on kind of a flop at that point, you know, like other than the Wilburys. Mm-hmm. Nothing had really been working out for him in his solo career. He, had, he hadn't really found the definition to come back into being Bob Dylan, Right. Sure. He was at that point kind of living off his laurels. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes back, and he does this album with Lanois, Oh Mercy. And people love it because it's incredible. It has magic. Mm-hmm. They haven't heard magic from Dylan. They've heard decent songs. They've heard good stuff, but they haven't heard magic in probably a decade, if not more. Um, and he does this album with Lanois, and instead of going back and doing the next album with Lanois, he doesn't. yeah. He doesn't work with Lanois for like seven more years. He does well, like five
1: o- albums. Not only that, but the album right after it, which is Under the Red Sky. I mean, the, the one thing that, 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 that stuck out to me about Oh Mercy is how much, how much more care – um i feel like it was written with so you know the the lyrics are amazing it's a really really beautiful album on many levels including how how it's produced so it's really warm and really really good but then right after that the first album in the 90s um under the red sky is a total about face from that um, oh my it's God. probably the the simplest <laughs> the simplest of the al- it's almost like it was written for a child and i guess you know the the album itself was dedicated to Um, A nickname um, that he gave his daughter, I'm not quite clear on that. Gabba Gabba Gabby or something like that? Yeah, Gabby Gabby Goo Goo. And so I guess I understand from that perspective, but it's so gut-wrenchingly different from Oh Mercy that it's it's almost unstomachable. (laughs) I mean,
0: listen, listen, if you guys want to get a feel for that album without having to really go through the whole thing, just listen to the first 30 seconds of the first song, Wiggle Wiggle. Yeah. It, I mean, literally, I never thought I would hear Bob Dylan singing lyrics. Wiggle, wiggle. you got to wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> I, I mean, it does sound like children's song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, but uh, once again, that's that contradiction. You know, the first, the first big contradiction was at that period when he was back in after the motorcycle accident. And he's just ready. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. He's tired of being interviewed. He's tired of being called the prophet. He releases Self-Portrait, which is a double album. Yep. And it is all over the place. And a lot of people at the time thought that he released a bad album on purpose. Uh That he just dropped it and said, I'm done. Leave me alone. Don't expect perfection anymore. And it's not a perfect album. It's not bad, though.
1: Oh, it's not terrible, but I remember. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up because I was going to say the, the the criticism that that made me physically laugh out loud was from a Rolling Stone writer named Greil Marcus, um, who simply put, um, when when first listening to to, to Self Portrait, "What is this shit?" Um, I thought that was amazing, amazing to be in the music annals.
0: <laughs> well,
1: it's it's an incredible thing when
0: you consider that here's this man that's known for lyrics, particularly. And even even just not for lyrics, but just even if you said just for the sound of his voice, mm-hmm. and the first song, and which was I believe the single, if they, um if I'm correct, the first thing that comes off the album is a song called "All the Wild Horses." Uh huh. Bob Dylan does not sing on the song at all. Yeah and the lyrics are literally two lines all the wild horses in the all the no all the sleeping horses in the tired horses sorry mm-hmm. all the tired horses in the field how am i supposed to get any riding done repeated over and over again by a couple of they sound like maybe background gospel singers they have very great voices um women um and it's actually it's a it's a good good song but can you imagine this is this is a man that you've known for his voice for his lyrics um, for a particular style and then the first song in this new thing is completely absent of him.
1: I I, I wanna believe that he, he did it on purpose. I, I definitely I really think do. He did.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't know that there's much he hasn't done on purpose. Even sure. when he's been his worst and he's been wrong, he did it on purpose. Yeah. He might not have been wrong on purpose, but the choices he made were very much on purpose.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at his, his older career, if you're looking at, at the, the, the very beginning, when he was the, the folk singer with the harmonica, um, during an, in an age of, of, of dumb lyrics and, and pop rock, um, there was so much intelligence behind his music that you can't imagine a man with that level of creative intellect doing anything by accident. So, absolutely. And I feel like if you look at uh, if you look at
0: going into Self-Portrait, you can see that flip going to happen. You can see that change is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Because Highway 61 is considered possibly his greatest album. That's a hard thing to say with this many albums. And that has many great albums under his belt. But most people will say that's definitely on the list of possibilities. And then you have mm-hmm. Blonde on Blonde, which is another one that's on that list. Yeah. Then John Wesley Harding. And John Wesley Harding is considered a great Dylan album. But what's interesting about it is you start hearing... Sounds of country music, yeah, slipping
1: into his sound. And I actually thought you heard a little bit of that in Blonde on Blonde too. Sorry, go ahead. It pod- yeah, touch. I might have just missed it. Um, sure.
0: And then you go next. He comes out with Nashville Skyline, mm-hmm. which is the first song on Nashville Skyline is a duet with Johnny Cash.
1: Yeah, which so is amazing, by the way.
0: <laughs> and it's it's a it's pretty much a fully country album. Yeah. And and it's the first time that you hear Bob Dylan purposely change his voice. Yeah. Um, you, you all know the stereotypical Bob Dylan voice, like, how many roads? We're really that, yeah. yeah <laughs> that, that voice is gone. And now it's a deep register voice like this. And uh, for any of you who know who Dwight Yoakam is, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard any songs by Dwight Yoakam, that man built his whole career off of Nashville Skyline because his singing voice is Bob Dylan on Nashville Skyline. Mm-hmm. So you hear this first song, he's going into country, which it, to me, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, he's, he's taking a different direction here. This is okay. I'm, then all of a sudden the next song, which is even more country than a duet with Johnny Cash, and it's completely instrumental. The first instrumental Bob Dylan song In all of his, uh, until that point, in all of his career. And I feel like what he's doing with these two things is, I think that this is why he got tired of doing music, is because he started responding to the critics instead of to his own creativity. Mm -hmm. This instrumental song, to me, it felt like he was going, you guys say I can write lyrics, but you say I can't write songs. Well, here's a song with no lyrics.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I feel like the voice on Nashville Skyline was a response to people saying he couldn't sing.
1: Yeah. So I you can say, see that. can't
0: sing? Here you go. I can sing. I'll even duet with Johnny Cash.
1: I mean, in, in a lot of senses, John, uh, Bob Dylan's entire career feels like one giant middle finger to popular culture.
0: <laughs> and it's, it's that necessary contradiction. Sure. I think that's what he thrives off of is that, is that about face. Yeah. I've gone down this road. Now what do I do? Go the other way, and that I mean that's to the, to the point where, like I said, you know, like he goes through what well, we were saying, "Oh mercy," and then he does "Under the Red Sky," and "Good as I've Been to You" comes out, and you're like, "Wait a minute, this is Bob Dylan in the '60s again, singing yeah. folk songs." Sure, and it's everything isn't about face, and it's 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 incredible.
1: But it's funny though, even through some of the more even though you feel like there, they, you know he 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 is basically juxtaposing himself at every possible turn. Um, he still has his moments of brilliance too. Like going back to um, John Wesley Harding, the song that that I listen to—it's the only song that I I, I listen to um, um, continuously. Um, from the the you know from from pounding through all of the Bob Dylan stuff and all along the Watchtower, his ver- as much as even he acknowledges that Jimi Hendrix's version is the quintessential version. Um, I actually really 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 like Bob Dylan's version um, as well, and I probably listen to it about four or five times continuously. So, I mean, despite the fact that he does um, almost with a sense of of of, of sarcasm. Um, go into a lot of his albums. Um, I really feel like every so often he'll still punch out a magical piece of work just to prove that he can still do it.
0: (laughs) That's actually one of the notes I took, was that even even at, uh, it changed a little bit later, but even at his worst until the 80s, he made sure there was at least one standout track on every album.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's really it's really telling, um, which which then reminds you that that he is doing all of this on purpose. Even what we we don't like from Dylan, he he doesn't want us to like it.
0: <laughs> and I think to in in my personal interpretation, it seems to me like he was doing everything on purpose before the Hades, but then somehow after the conversion, he actually forgot. How to do everything the way he wanted it to, and and some of it was failure that he put on a face mm-hmm. that he was um, faking it. I almost, I'm I'm almost willing to argue that the conversion may have been a persona that
1: mm-hmm. he
0: created. That it wasn't actually a conversion
1: that he wanted to do that kind of music. So he took his persona down that road. Oh, just for the sake of it, by the way, um, because you mentioned it, um, I really want people to listen to it. The, the the duet that Dylan does with Johnny Cash is Lay Lady Lay. Please find it and listen to no, it. No, no,
0: no. Not Lay Lady Lay, Lay. Oh, really? No, no. Lay Lady Lay, Lay is him by himself. It's um, Girl from the North Country.
1: Oh, God. I'm sorry. Yeah, Girl from okay. the North Country. I'm sorry.
0: It's the first song on Nashville Skyline. I think uh, Lay Lady gotcha, Lay
1: okay. is like four or five. Gotcha. Um, My bad. It's it's
0: incredible. It's, it's What's great is they're not even it almost sounds like they sang their parts in different rooms mm. because they're not even in sync with each other. and Not in a bad way, but the t- their timing is just different.
1: Uh, by the way, if you want to hear the version where the timing isn't different, um, there's a version, um, I'll, 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 I'll put the, the, the link to it in the uh, uh, show notes, but there's uh, Johnny Cash had a television show, and they, pref- they did the duet live.
0: Uh, I forgot about Johnny Cash's TV show.
1: Yeah, and, and they did a Girl from the North Country live on the show at some point, so it's, it's pretty cool.
0: There's actually, there's a lot of footage later, later career when people said Bob Dylan's voice was falling apart of him when he was on tour with Willie Nelson,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's a, that's a tour I wish I had gone and seen, <laughs> Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan, and then they would come out and play songs together.
1: What year and was that? What year was that? Is there, is there any video of that floating around? I think it was like 15 years ago.
0: It was okay. very recently. huh? Um, He was still in his 60s, I think.
1: You know what's fascinating about us us doing these episodes is, sure, there will be a lot of crossover between what you find and what I find, but it's the stuff that we find that's not similar that's really fascinating to me. (laughs) Or even just
0: the perspectives. You know, there may be an album that I liked that you didn't like
1: uh we're, with I think with Bob Dylan, we're pretty we're pretty much on the same page when it comes to which albums we don't like, because I like think they're a... just universally hated. <laughs> right. You know what album surprised me that I actually liked more than
0: I thought I would? Huh. The first album, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Oh, really? You didn't I really like that, liked album? that album? I, oh, loved I was going to
1: say, yeah.
0: Huh. I was yeah, surprised. I really liked it. I, I kind of thought that it would be like, um, you know, because Free which is his second album. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about that album. Nobody ever talks about the first album. Yeah. So I kind of just went into it assuming that it was terrible. And it huh, wasn't. There's was actually a couple songs of it that I really
1: dug. It probably didn't get the, the, the respect that it deserved because no one knew the hell who the hell Bob Dylan was yet. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the the, the fanfare revolving around the album was probably pretty low. You know, I years ago I
0: read Chronicle, which was supposedly Bob Dylan's autobiography. <laughs> I don't remember much of it. It's been a while. Um, but the interesting thing about that book, that the biggest criticism about that book was, everybody read it and they're like, I feel like I don't know anything about Bob Dylan. Because <laughs> <laughs> even in writing an autobiography, he remained elusive. <laughs> of course
1: he did. Of course he did. And that's 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 the beauty of Bob Dylan, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think, I don't think there are very few people on this planet who really know him. Um, and I think that that's very purposefully done. Like, you know, talking about, it's funny when, when Chad and I were starting to record this, this, uh, podcast, we were talking about the things we wanted to do and how we wanted to set things up. And I I jokingly said, you know, I like what we were talking about. And uh, we both came to the consensus that we didn't want to pull back the curtain too far. And I feel like with Bob Dylan, his entire career, he's never pulled back the curtain. He's given you glimpses of what he wants you to see, but the curtain is never pulled back. And he's done
0: with the contradictions going back to that word again, which is probably going to make it into the title of this episode. He covers up when he lets those glimpses out. So you're not even sure if you got a real glimpse or not. Yeah. Like going, like, if you're going through a religious conversion, a public, being a public figure as big as him going through a religious conversion, that's about as personal as it gets, right? Sure. You know, what your beliefs are on, on God in the afterlife, that's pretty personal. Yeah. Yet at the same time, I just voiced an opinion a minute ago that I'm not sure it was real. Sure. Because it's hard to know. Even sure. his most personal, most public moments are questionable.
1: I mean, even if you look back in his career, back to the, the Bring It All Home, I, I think, was the first album where he went pretty hard into electric. Um, and I, it's such a departure from from the previous stuff that that you're not even sure which Dylan is the real Dylan anymore. I remember the song that really sticks out to me from 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 that album is um, "Subterranean Homesick Blues," and I think everyone loves that song. But I think that uh, you know, um, unlike a, a lot of other songs that are popular uh, with, from Dylan or any of the other um, artists that we we speak about, that one deserves its praise. Um, and I think that it deserves its praise because it set the bar for what it would be. Uh, what what that what that. Period period in his music would be. And I think it's really interesting that he takes such hard turns. Every time he takes a turn, you can, you know he's taking the turn. Um, there's right. no question about it. And I think that that's really fascinating about it. It's a fascinating choice as an artist to to risk it all um, every single time you change, to change to something so entirely different from what you were before. And then in reading a lot of things about Dylan,
0: that's, that's something that came up a lot. Um, people would say is, is you know, True artistry is not artistry unless it involves risk. Sure. And like you said, he never dabbled.
1: Yeah, never <laughs> it, dabbled. No, no, no. When he when hear, he did Christian rock, he did Christian rock, and that there was no two there was no doubt about that. And when you'd hear him dabble,
0: it was a tease. You know, like I said, oh, this this song almost sounds a little country. The next album's country. So mm-hmm. it wasn't dabbling and then running back. It was putting his
1: toes in and going, guess what's next. Yep. We're coming. You hold on, <laughs> hold on to your hats. Here we go. Yeah. And I don't, I can't think of another artist, um, uh, in the history of music that's, that's gone that far uh, from one direction to the other at every possible turn.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. I mean, you could say in a way, almost the Beatles, but the Beatles, it feels like a, a trajectory. That yeah, they they yeah. were moving towards something. Yeah. Um, whereas like, like I've said multiple times in here, he's it's about phases.
1: Yeah, he he it's turnarounds. Yeah, Bob Dylan is definitely the momentum killer. The moment he feels like or it seems like the moment he feels like um, the, the, the the music is starting to move in a certain direction at too much speed, he suddenly slams the brakes and goes the other way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean if you were to think about like the Beatles are like a football flying through the air, right? Bob Dylan's a ping pong. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah, no definitely. idea which
0: direction he's going, how fast he's gonna go, but you know he's gonna come back.
1: Yeah, and and the creative choices are sometimes not just in the music itself, but what the music is supposed to invoke. And I think that's more interesting um, when it comes to Dylan is the music itself is secondary. It's it's how it makes you feel that's important to him. And I feel like when he he wants you to to not like it, he really wants you to not like it. (laughs) And I think that there's something to be said about
0: people not being able to read into him because even that they can't read into how purposeful he is even with his lyrics sure Um, there's a lot of stuff in there where people are reading into their lyrics and they have to keep asking themselves they're going this is definitely on purpose but this over here this seems on purpose too but this could be coincidence that i'm seeing this um like for example with the word coincidence um there's a lyric, I can't remember what song it is right now, I just, I was reading part of a book earlier, so this is off of memory. Um, there's a lyric where he says something about sense, um, but it's S-E-N-S-E, sense, you know, like common sense, I think is the line. Um, and then the next line ends with coincidence. Yeah, it's common sense, and they he rhymes it with coincidence. And they're, they're talking about how it's an interesting rhyme choice but then somebody else goes into it, they go, and maybe it's even more purposeful than that because you can't see the words that he's writing because it's you're listening, not looking at it. Sense, S-E-N-S-E, or S-E-N-S-E sounds like sense, C-E-N-T-S. Mm-hmm. And it is a coincidence that the word coincidence begins with the word coin. Huh. And it, it, when you start really digging into that, and I think that it's it's easy to understand now even more so after studying him for a month why he won the nobel prize
1: yeah cuz i remember i remember the 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 almost visceral reaction you had to that when
0: <laughs> i was when, mad cuz i love murakami
1: yeah. sure yeah <laughs> And that was and that was during the Murakami episode, wasn't it? Like, it was right after we'd released that episode that uh, yeah, that Dylan got there. the award. Yeah, and I remember how how strong of a reaction you had to that.
0: And it it wasn't that I didn't like Bob Dylan. I love Bob Dylan. Um, my argument at the time was, why don't they just have a Nobel Peace Prize for songwriters?
1: Sure. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, it, that makes sense.
0: <laughs> why why jip why jip a novelist out of a prize? I mean, Joyce Carol Oates was up for it, too. There was a lot of competition, a lot of very wonderful competition. Mm -hmm. Um, But over time, stewing on it and then going through this research, I understand why they did what they did, because um, they didn't award him for being a songwriter. They rewarded him for or awarded, not rewarded, awarded him for changing poetry, the face of poetry. That what he did and the way he brought those lyrics into song and the purposefulness with which he did that, he made poetry in music possible. And when you think about the fact that the Beatles were writing, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and then they heard Bob Dylan, and then they were writing Norwegian Wood about Mm -hmm. being drunk in a bathtub, he he brought literacy to music.
1: I like true literature to music yeah it, and it's it's interesting to to you know it's it's hard to separate the music from from the lyrics, but um if you really do take a moment and study the, the a good portion of, of of the lyrics especially during the the early years um there's some there's some masterpieces in there um i you know i'm a, i in, in my particular case, I love poetry and i I know you do too even though our our poet, our poetic um, preferences skew in in very different directions. Um, I, I there is definitely magic to to the the the, the lyrics themselves, and I think that. Um, anyone who who is interested in in dylan as as a musician should definitely take a long hard look at the lyrics um, just by themselves without the music um there's some there 's some interesting there there's some interesting patterns that you see in the the the, the lyrics that are that are very poetic um, and i 'm not just saying that because I like Dylan because I, I i honestly I came into this podcast without much knowledge of Dylan and I think that actually helped me um, because it, it it allowed me to see his 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 work without the 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 glaze of hero worship that people typically have when they go into to things like this, this is not an homage to Bob Dylan. This is a study of Bob Dylan, and I think in studying Bob Dylan, you see a lot of different things that that you don't necessarily associate with him as being a fan of his music
0: and what's a very interesting point too is what you're also going to see by looking at the lyrics is um, there's points where his rhymes seem childish mm-hmm. um and obvious. And there was a woman in an article that I was just reading. Um, actually, I think it was in the book. He was quoting an article. And this woman, I think it was for the New York Times. I could be wrong. She said what seems like obvious rhymes, once they come out of his mouth, become poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what she meant was, um, from a literary standpoint, looking at the rhymes, some of the rhymes, you go, well, that's an easy one. But then you, when you hear the way that he sings it. You know, that mm-hmm. fluctuation up and down. People don't realize a lot of that. Mm, mm, was purposeful to sure. put emphasis and emotion. He, he, he creates lines with contradicting emotion by the way that he sings them. So there's, there's a complexity there, which going back to once again, why he brought something new to literature that wasn't there before. Um, To bring timbre of voice into literature. It was new Um, to, before it was, everything was done through spelling or through topography. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I would say, just go through, li- go through his, his lyrics. You're going to find lines that just blow you away. Yeah. Like in Dirge, which was a song I'd never heard before. I went mm-hmm. out on Lower Broadway and I felt that place within, that hollow place where martyrs weep and angels play with sin.
1: Oh, I knew you would like that line. I remember it's an, I, it's an I wrote easy that rhyme, down, but it's yeah. so good. I wrote that down because I knew you'd like it. That's that's like four four bullet points down from where we are right now. That's hilarious. <laughs> and just, I mean, Desolation Row as a whole. Sure, sure. I mean, oh yeah, Magical. Desolation
0: Row is epic poetry.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it is, Ezra it is,
0: Pound and T.S. Eliot I, fighting yeah. the captain's tower.
1: Uh huh. Absolutely. That's that's one to go to sleep to. Um, and I I will tell you now that there are a few times where I I did pull it up on my phone and read it before I went to sleep. Well, I was reading the, this
0: guy's interpretation of a small part of it, and I, I'm just gonna I'm not gonna go too in depth here, but just something interesting in that whole stanza. I'll, I'll read you the whole stanza. It's praise be to Nero's Neptune, the Titanic sails at dawn. Everybody's shouting, "Which side are you on?" And Ezra Pound and T. S. Eliot fighting in the captain tower captain's tower while Calypso singers laugh at them and the fishermen hold flowers. What he's pointing, what this guy points out is that everything in there is about is caps encapsulated in that. What side are you on? It's Mm -hmm. the Titanic versus the iceberg. Yeah. It's Ezra pound versus T.S. Eliot. It's high literature,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: high art versus the lowly Calypso singers. Yeah. And all of that purposefulness—I mean, there's—and I think this is probably why people had trouble going through Dylan to the '80s, Mm -hmm. because all of that felt lost. Sure. And I don't know that that ever came back. He never got that literary again, but
1: his music got better in the sense that he became more musical. Do you? There's a part of me that feels like at some point he was just having more fun and i feel like the 80s were the weird awkward phase where he didn't really <laughs> know who he was and and i think the last like the the last decade especially the last three albums it just feels like he's having a good time and oh, i feel yeah. like he's he's at the age where he's just enjoying himself now he's he's fought all the battles that he can he's fought all the wars that he can and now he's that wise old sage who you know um likes to drink with his buddies and and make wonderful music and i feel like he's finally there
0: and that's that's what these if you look at The last, these three um, Frank Sinatra cover albums, well, Standards, Mm -hmm. Standards album, 2015, 2016, 2017. He's definitely having fun. He's dropping an album a year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's it's not like he's got much left to prove. I mean, in many ways, he was defined as the, the artist of a generation, even though he fought that the entire time he was being called that. By the way, I remember um, reading, um, I, I got to find the quote now, um, but I'll, I'll stick it somewhere in the show notes. But he talks about everyone calling him a prophet and him saying oh, that yeah. he wasn't one um and then he I started to follow follow Jesus and you know that Jesus is a prophet and then people no longer said that Bob Dylan was a prophet and he said something like they just can't handle it
0: <laughs> which goes back to my my thought that that religious period was a persona one,
1: one giant persona sure I mean, what what else does the man have to prove? I mean, if you look at his career, he's got a Nobel Prize. He's got, what, like 12 Grammys. Uh, Pulitzer Prize? Yeah, he's got a Pulitzer. He's got an Academy Award, a Golden Globe. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, he even, I think, oh, yeah, that's right. Obama gave him a a Medal of Freedom, too. So, I mean, I don't know what else this guy has left to prove.
0: And that's the interesting thing about him, right, is the person he was always trying to prove things to was himself. Sure. And that's what makes him such an interesting artist in general. And I think that, if anything, what we can learn from him, um, that's something I really want uh, us to focus on a lot in these, since we're cutting out that stuff at the beginning of these episodes. And what I really want to focus on the end of these episodes is really taking everything that we've learned... And putting that into a package, like what can't, what have we learned from Bob Dylan, and how is that applicable to us and everybody listening? And one of the things I would say is, don't be afraid to run away from something that's comfortable and go in the opposite direction.
1: And I mean, you know, to to be honest with you, it's 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 something that's repeated through a lot of the artists that that, that we really like, including um, was it Stephen King that said, "Kill your darlings." Yep. Yep. So which also they're, goes they're... back to. The beats and people have been saying similar things for a while. Sure, sure, sure. And I think that the, the one standing thing for, for Dylan, for me, is how, how brave he is, how, how, how uncompromisingly brave he is. And that's, that's a rare gift. It's, it's a, not just a rare gift, but a, a rare person that, that has the confidence to change that much and that completely without caring about the potential consequence of that, You know, without worrying about what might happen to his career if he takes that hard left.
0: That's why I I one thing, an image that of Bob Dylan that will always be in my mind is that sticker that he had on his guitar at the beginning of oh, his yeah. career. Mm-hmm. Um I guess it wasn't a sticker, I don't know if they had stickers back then. Uh it said, uh, this is a machine for killing fascists.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think that, that the moment this episode comes out, that picture's going up on Instagram. <laughs> I have that one on that my phone already. back
0: to... Woody Guthrie, I think, right? Did yeah, Woody Guthrie please, so, yeah. have that on mm-hmm. his guitar case?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but that stands out to me because it encapsulates his spirit in the sense that uh, he is thumbing his nose. Yeah. He is gonna do what he thinks is right, um, and th- and that's that's an important lesson creatively for all of us. Is you can you know there's a lot of people out there um, on Medium on blogs, on podcasts, talking about writing. And this is applicable to all the arts, but um, I'll focus on writing specifically right now. And they'll tell you the best way to write a book is to do the market research first, to find out what the market needs, to find out if there's market for your idea. And that's the exact opposite of art. That is not creativity. Creativity is having an idea, having a passion, and being unable to stop yourself from creating something, whether it's popular or not, and it, that is the lesson that I will always cherish Bob Dylan for is he didn't care if people liked it. Sure, it's what he had to make
1: yeah, and and there was no other way to make it except the way that he wanted to make it.
0: yeah, and sometimes that meant stripping things down, and sometimes that meant excess, <laughs> and sometimes it meant being awful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think back to the the sudden shift to uh, the, to electric instruments and how how jarring of a departure that was, but you know, in, in that moment, it must have felt right to him. And so he, so many people criticized him for that. So many people criticized him for changing his sound and becoming a, a different artist than people expected him to be. And he went full force into it. Did not care.
0: And the thing too is, he was the same way with his lyrics. Sure, um he says over and over again, one of the things he actually does not contradict himself on is that the best songs he feels he feel, feels that he wrote were fast, they were mm-hmm. easy, yeah. they came quick, that they it was almost like they came from the sky. <clears throat> because he believed that it's it's all about feeling, it's all about that passion. Um, I actually have a quote from here from him, "Creativity is a lot like is not like a freight train going down the tracks." It's something that has to be caressed and treated with a great deal of respect. If your mind is intellectually in the way, it will stop you. You've got to program your brain not to think too much.
1: Mm. That's well, a life that's, lesson. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, it's it, when, did you you saw the biopic, right? The the I'm Not There biopic.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, well, wait, actually. You mean the one that Scorsese did?
1: Uh, um, no direction home? Uh, I I don't I, no, it's it's one called I'm not there. It's by Todd Haynes.
0: Oh, that that that's the one that you you mean the the one where everybody plays different personas.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um there was a quote about Dylan um by there's uh, there's there a a reviewer um that wrote something pretty pretty insightful that I I thought was really amazing. Um so I'm just going to read it here. We might as well just start reading quotes now. Um <laughs> Elvis might never have been born, but someone else would surely have brought you rock and roll, the world rock and roll. No such logic accounts for Bob Dylan. No iron law of history demanded that a would-be Elvis from Hibbing, is that Hibbing, Minnesota, would swerve through the, the, the Greenwich Village folk revival to become the world's first and greatest rock and roll beatnik bard. And then, having achieved fame and adoration beyond reckoning, vanish into a folk tradition of his own making. I, I thought that was amazing of a quote to define Bob Dylan. And for
0: those who haven't seen that movie, you should probably watch that because it, it's not a great film.
1: Yeah. It's a brilliant say. concept. Yeah. It's a great idea.
0: Sure. Essentially, essentially to boil it down, you're going to have to help me fill in some of it, but they brought in different actors to play. None of them are called Bob Dylan, by the way, mm-hmm. and none of them are reenacting parts from Bob Dylan's actual life though some of them are similar to moments in his actual life. But they bring in different actors to get across the point that every persona and every point in his career was a different person almost. Um, at one point, even, Kate Blanchett plays Bob Dylan. A woman plays Bob Dylan. She plays the Bob Dylan from back in the 60s with the long, lanky, black clothes where he was kind of androgynous. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Gere plays him during like the hobo... Um, Billy, Billy, the Kid, and uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid phase. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is in there?
1: Ugh, I, let me let me look. I mean, there's a whole <laughs> slew of humans in that. That um... it's
0: it's a it's it's a it's a brilliant concept. In in a lot of ways, it reminds me of um, what Terry Gilliam
1: decided to do with um,
0: Mr. McGoram's Magic Emporium. No, yeah, that's yeah, The yeah. movie with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah,
1: that's that's the one with uh, Hoffman and Natalie Portman. Uh,
0: what's, what's the one I'm thinking of? Ugh, uh, I, I
1: know what you're talking about.
0: Anyways, the movie, the movie that Heath Ledger died in the middle of.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of which Heath Ledger was in, I'm not there either. <laughs> or two as well. That's right. Yeah, and so is Christian Bale. That's right. I forgot that Christian Bale was in there. Um, so essentially,
0: in the Terry Gilliam movie that I can't remember the title of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heath Ledger died in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And they still had scenes to film. So what they chose to do was bring in other actors who were his friends to play this character that he was playing because this character goes in and out between a fantasy world and the real world. So every time he goes into the fantasy world, which were the sequences they hadn't filmed yet, they had another, another actor portray him wearing the same clothes and looking the same. And it wasn't written in the script. It made the movie better. So in a way... It was like Heath Ledger's final gift. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one day I would like to do an episode on Heath Ledger. He's um, very underrated creatively. Creatively,
1: Yeah, and he's had, a pretty, he's had a pretty interesting career. I mean, a lot of people view that one giant black mark on his career from, uh, uh, what was it, A Knight's Tale as the thing that defines him. Um, well, that was his yeah, oh, of course. I mean, it was, it, it, but but he he also divine, defined certain characters for us forever in cinema. Like, I will see no other Joker as the Joker compared to Heath Ledger's Joker. It's amazing. Yeah, nobody
0: me. thought that anybody could top Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Oh,
1: by far, it, 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 quintessential. Um, Heath Ledger is the Joker to me now. And and that's
0: that's um, the movie by the way was the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. That's right. Which you sounds like a Tom Waits song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's, everything's making an about face within our episode right now. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Uh, but, but going back to um, uh, I'm Not There, it's, it's a perfect... I mean, you couldn't have done a better movie on Dylan because of the fact that you could never make a movie on Dylan like uh, Ray or like sure. um, Walk the Line. It, the, Dylan's life and Dylan's career... Does not lend itself to a polished, Hollywood, pseudo-maudlin portrayal that it, these biops, biops
1: it, are, right? It had to be weird. It had to be weird.
0: It, it had to be weird, and it had to be a little bit broken. Sure. And Todd Haynes was the perfect person to do it, considering that like his first movie was telling the story of Karen Carpenter using nothing but Barbie dolls.
1: Sure, that's right. Oh yeah, he still
0: to he still to the day to this day is the only person that I know of that's made a biop on the Carpenters, hmm. and the Carpenters story seems like something that people should be jumping at to write scripts for. Uh, the brother wrote all the music. She had this beautiful voice. He got addicted to drugs, and she literally starved herself to death. Yeah, literally. I'm no exaggeration. Literally starved herself to death. She died because she didn't eat.
1: Man, that is a, writing that. <laughs> yeah, that is a cautionary tale waiting to happen. Did you read so, any of? Uh, I haven't seen any of um, um, Dylan's books yet, but I feel like I really. Sh- I feel. I feel like I focused a lot on his music and not very much on his writing.
0: Um, well, I, like I said, I read um, Chronicles Part One. Yeah. Um, I don't remember much of it because it was a while ago. Chronicles Mm -hmm. Part 2 apparently is coming out soon, which is a really big distance between books. Uh, (laughs) um, And then you have Tarantula, which was his surrealist novel, and from what I've heard, most mm -hmm. people say skip it.
1: Yeah, I I was very curious about that one. I almost want to read it just because it's Dylan, and I have a feeling that there's a little bit of sarcasm in it. Um, But I haven't haven't found it either. That's That's back when he was
0: obsessed with William Burroughs, so that's probably what you're going to get out of it.
1: Sure, that makes sense.
0: Sarcasm has to be in it. Uh, so creative lessons. Lam, any any more words of advice from Robert Zimmerman?
1: Uh, from Robert Zimmerman himself. Um never be who they think you never never be who they want you to be. Be who you want to be.
0: That's a good one to end with. Um <laughs> normally this is where i would cut to the music because that was a really good ender but going back to us not doing things the right way ever <laughs> we wanted to start ending these episodes with a few mentions of things you wanted to say something about social media lamb
1: yeah um, i i already mentioned it a little bit um, at the beginning at the top of the episode but i wanted to definitely say that we want um, people to participate a lot more um, with our social media stuff, especially with Twitter and Instagram, because we're trying to push both of those pretty hard. Uh, so we want some interaction on both of those mediums. Um, and speaking of medium, um, I, I, think, I think you're the right guy to talk about medium. So I'll let you, I'll let you handle that one. Uh,
0: first of all, just to clarify why we're plugging this. Um, number one, because we never have, which is just silly since everybody else is. Um, but because we're, we're trying to actually create, we want all these things to feed into each other. I don't want any of this stuff to be repetitive. I don't want, um, our social media to be what it had been, which is just plugging the episodes. I want to be bringing something. When you go to Twitter, I want you to get stuff from us from Twitter that you can't get from the podcast that you can't get from our Instagram that you can't get from our medium. And I want the same thing from Instagram. So I, I, we want Going back to the goal of this show is about creativity and about inspiring creativity in others and ourselves. Um, Lamb and I doing this has brought us a lot of inspiration. Yeah. Um, We want to give it to you. (laughs) So if there's nobody there to receive it, (laughs) that kind of cuts half of it out.
1: Um, And we, and we want you guys to give it to us too. I mean, Dylan's career is a good example of that. You know, he's defined as much by his art as he is by his collaborations. And so the more you can feed us our our creativity and, and artistic inspiration, the more we can give back to you in that sense as well. Totally.
0: Exactly. Actually, I heard, um, a great thing from Gary Vaynerchuk the other day. Um, I think it was in his book, Ask Gary V. He said something along the line, somebody asked him, uh, how do you keep up with everything? That's I mean, you're in the media. You have to you know, know what's going on. You have to stay fresh of everything. How do you find time to read all this stuff? And he says he doesn't. He doesn't read his Twitter feed. He doesn't read any of that stuff. All he reads is comments that people send him because all he needs to know is in the comments he gets from his audience. That's how he stays abreast of things because everybody gives it to him and he gives them everything that he's got.
1: And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Um, so Medium—that's uh, its blogging platform. So we're we're going to do some writing on there. I, um, we haven't been doing much of it. So by you guys being there, it'll force us to actually start doing it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, give to us, and we will give back to you.
0: What I really want to do, and I, I haven't mentioned this to you yet either, Lamb, but um, when we when we have people, so basically, Medium allows you to. We create publications, so the Random Badassery is a publication. Um, When you follow the publication, we can also send you newsletters from there. Um, And what we're going to do with these newsletters is I want to do these once a month. And we're going to send out in these newsletters three things from each of us, from Lam and from me, that are inspiring us or we are finding useful to our creativity that month, whether it be an app, whether it be a movie whether it be a quote, whether it be a book. Um, For those of you who follow Tim Ferriss or um, Austin Kleon and all these guys, you're familiar with this format. It's a curation. So we want you to be there for that. And then lastly, um, from me, and then we'll see if Lamb has anything else, we would love reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, because... More people that we get following this we're moving up to twice a month if we can get this thing really rolling um, to where we can actually invest even more time into this we want we want to get to a point where we're doing a weekly episode and every week we want to do a different format and our next format that we're thinking about tackling is interviews so we want to find artists and creative people and interview them and find out what they have to say about creativity So instead of having a repetitive thing, we want to keep enhancing this and growing it not only in size, but growing it in concept so that when you come to check out something from us, it's about creativity and there's so much that you don't even know how to handle it. (laughs) That's my goal because when I was young, that's what I always wanted, a place to find those things. And whether you're young or old, everybody needs inspiration. So the more you guys give us inspiration, the more we're gonna to have to give out too. And, you know, for example Actually I'm gonna stop right there. Lamb, do you have anything you want to say?
1: <laughs> well I guess the simple way to put it for me is, you know, when you're when you're growing up as an artist, I mean there are certain artists whose whose track you can follow. I mean, you know, if you're talking about guys like Austin Cleon, for example, and anyone who hasn't read Steel like an artist, um, there 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 are now roadmaps that you can take to becoming a creative. But I think that because it's creativity, it's so unique to the individual that even from our, our, our great heroes like Bob Dylan or Murakami or any of the other guys that we've talked about, every single one of them has something that, that that you can borrow from that you can use, um, and basically for us uh, with with random badassery the more the more voices that enter the equation the the, the the more perspectives we can lend to creativity, the more likely it is that we can help you to find that one or five or twenty things that helps you become a better artist
0: and that you guys can help each other too, you know just because um you're sending a comment to us doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to see your comment and you're not going to spark something for them. And, and that's one of the reasons going back to the beginning of this episode is one of the reasons we purposely do not get into politics on this show is because everybody deserves creativity. Yeah. And we don't want to draw a line in the sand. You know, if you, if you are with this administration or you are against this administration, either way, you deserve to create things and have a happy life and we want to help you do that and it is my belief that creativity is inherently generous Mm -hmm. so by creating and sharing things with the world you're making the world a better place